Hello, and welcome back to episode three of season two of Cinema at First Sight. If this is your first time tuning in, then welcome aboard. The premise of this podcast is that I review movies based on their first half and TV shows based on their pilot episode and then make a snap judgment about them and guess what's going to happen next. Because I like to make up my mind about things using as little information as possible. Today I am going to be tackling the 2021 Best Picture Academy Award winner Nomadland. I actually watched the first half of this and took notes on it at the beginning of the year, but haven't got around to recording this podcast until after the Oscars. Which may or may not tell you something about how I felt about this movie, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Despite increased hype, I promise both you and myself that I will not alter my judgement to fit in with the general consensus. Because I'm a rebel. I'm not like other reviewers, he. I hate myself. Okay, let's get into it. First question, is this a rewatch or is this a first time watch? This was definitely a first time watch. And again, at risk of getting ahead of myself, probably an only time watch. I'm going to talk about some basic plot points, but I'm not going to delve into too much detail purely because, again, spoiler alert, I'm not that eager to relive this movie, but I'm going to give you a general outline. So, the film begins with a text card that tells us that a number of people have lost their jobs in Empire, Nevada as a result of the fallout of the Great Recession after the US gypsum plant and the town itself completely shut down. This is the case for lead character Fern, played by absolute goddess Frances McDormand, who worked there with her husband before his recent death. She gets a seasonal job as an Amazon packer every winter, however that's not enough to sustain her full time, so she instead decides to sell all of her stuff, buy a van, and take to the road to begin a nomadic existence. She's on her own at first and struggles to find any kind of job and doesn't really know how to live this new lifestyle she's been forced into. However, her friend from Amazon, who she runs into, invites her to what is essentially an organized nomad how-to guide in the desert, where she meets a bunch of fellow nomads and learns some basic survival skills and becomes increasingly self-sufficient. She befriends fellow nomad Swanky, who helps her out when her tire deflates, and Swanky gives her some more nomadic road advice and lends her a spare tire. They eventually become friends, and Swanky divulges that she's been diagnosed with cancer, so wants to spend the remainder of her time making good memories and helping out others wherever she can. Truly a saint of a woman. Obviously a bunch of small, more nuanced things happen throughout, like she runs into a guy called David who we think may be low-key interested in her. He tries to help her clean her van and then knocks over and smashes a bunch of her most precious possessions, but really that's essentially all that's happened and where I'm up to so far in my Nomadland journey. I think this is the smallest synopsis I have ever given for a movie on this podcast. Definitely a self-preservation tactic. So with that out of the way, let's dive into some analysis. The first actual question I have for myself is what are my favorite slash most exciting slash most pivotal moments? I guess, I mean, objectively, the most pivotal moment is probably when we learn about the Great Recession and its impact that it's had upon the town of Empire. It's the inciting incident that forces Fern, our lead, to take to the road and start her nomadic journey. It's essentially our introduction into the world. Apart from that though, I don't think there really is a moment in particular that stands out. 
This movie doesn't really follow the classic structure of like orientation, rising action, climax, etc. And call me a psychic, but I don't think the second half will either. It just kind of plots along slowly as we meet people and see the world throughout Fern's journey, which is fine. Definitely a valid choice for a contemplative, indie-style, half-biopic, half-fictional character study. But in terms of my favourite moments, I would say just like the overall direction and writing and production of it. It is objectively a very well-made film. It's beautifully shot. Lots of stunning landscape shots. It's kind of got the vibes of an artsy independent film, but one that has been given a major platform for critical and commercial adulation. I definitely think that Chloe Zhao is super deserving for her win for Best Director. She blended fact and fiction very seamlessly. It was literally only upon Googling later that I worked out what specific characters and plot elements were based on real life circumstance and which were completely made up for the sake of the film, so excellent job. And I feel like what really helped this was her great and low-key brave choice to include actual nomads in the film. It gives it a sense of authenticity and a grittiness. Sure, a grittiness and bleakness that filled me with hopelessness and dread, but it certainly set itself apart from, you know, the typical heightened, glamorized Hollywood fare. And another favorite moment? I mean, Frances McDormand's performance. Amazing. 10 out of 10. She's a stunning goddess of a woman. But saying that, every time she acts is amazing in a 10 out of 10. Controversially, I don't really think the role of Fern is that meaty. There's not that much to do. She's in an awful, albeit semi-self-conflicted or at least self-perpetuated situation, but apart from that, the role doesn't really require much depth or range. Sure, Frances McDormand brings that in spades, but there isn't enough in the role or the material to showcase her acting chops. Which is fine, I mean, not every role has to be a showreel of everything you have to offer. But for me, Frances McDormand's performance in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri is one of her best, if not her best. She's phenomenal, and also literally had so much to do. It was insane. She hardcore earned her Oscar. And while she, I reiterate, did the best anyone could do in this role, I don't think the role gave her enough to do to win Best Actress, even though she did for the third time. I demand justice for Carrie Mulligan because Promising Young Woman, now that is a movie and a performance that I could rewatch a ton and praise for hours, but nevertheless, I digress. I guess another favorite moment is that I like the camaraderie between all of the nomads. Despite their depressing, mundane, and from an audience perspective, soul-destroying existence, they all help each other out and view the world and their landscape with, honestly, an undue sense of optimism, which is really nice. And I guess kind of highlights or tries to argue that human beings at their core are fundamentally good and nice. I don't know if that's always the case, but I'd like to think so. And the most exciting moment? Genuinely nothing. This movie is very slow moving and, dare I say, boring? Don't get me wrong, it is very well made and incredibly acted. I love Chloe Zhao, whose side note seems super cute. And obviously Frances McDormand kills it as always. All she needs to do is breathe and I'm in. But there's not really much going on plot-wise or character-wise. Nothing really seems to be developing, and I don't see it developing in the second half of the film. So therefore, there's not really a dramatic high point or something climactic or exciting to get me hooked. Now, moving right along, flipping that to my least favorite moments, or moments I consider to be least exciting or least pivotal. 
I guess the biggest least favorite moment for me is just the depressing, depressing tone and vibe of the entire film. I'm not joking when I tell you that throughout this movie, I slowly lost the will to live. My dad and I were just withering away in our seats, spiraling further and further just into a tunnel of existential dread. I had to Google the synopsis while I was in the cinema just to read ahead and see exactly where the halfway point was so I could tick off each of the plot points and make time go more quickly. I can't remember the last time I felt more aware of my mortality. I'm 22. I'm 22 years old. I should not be this worried and anxious about encroaching death and the general plight of existence and survival. I am lucky enough to have fairly stable mental health, but this movie really made me question that. This movie and the life it depicts are my worst nightmare. A lot of reviews I read said that this film actually glossed over and romanticized the hardships of nomads displaced by the recession, and if that's the case, then oh my god. What would a realistic depiction look like? I don't even know how a movie could get any bleaker. It's only an hour and 45 minutes long in total, so I've only seen 52 minutes of it, and it feels like I've been watching it for hours. My hot take, perhaps controversial, but I think it should have just been a really well-made documentary. I don't really know what benefit there is to Hollywoodifying this story. It just feels unnecessary. And honestly, the story itself, at least the story in this film, in my opinion, is not interesting enough to sustain a feature-length fictional film. That would also significantly improve a couple of the film's problematic elements, which I'll definitely delve into a bit later. But I guess plot-wise, a more micro-least favourite moment is when David, the guy she meets towards the end of the first half, smashes the plates, aka her most prized possession. It's so hard to watch. Fern has been talking about how much these plates mean to her and been so careful with preserving them. They're literally the only thing she cares about. And in one swoop, they're destroyed. I mean, I was already depressed, but seeing that was just gut-wrenching and just induced a full-blown spiral. Now, next question, a little character deep dive. Who are my favorite characters? I actually only have one, and I'm gonna say Swanky. She's really nice. She helps out Fern and takes her under her wing when she really does not have to. She's sadly slowly dying of a terminal illness, but still chooses to spend her remaining time making other people's lives better. She's just an objectively nice person. Also, she's real. She's a real life nomad, which I think makes it even better. It's nice to know people like that actually exist. I guess you could say she's a small beacon of hope in what for me was an otherwise exhaustingly depressing film. Okay, again, polar opposite, least favorite characters. I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. My least favorite character is Fern, which again probably contributes to why I didn't necessarily love this film because the lead character whose eyes we're seeing everything through, I was not a fan of. I was just so frustrated because there were so many opportunities for her to not live this life. It was kind of a very, very white, woe is me, I'm choosing to be homeless story rather than an I'm actually homeless and forced to be a nomad because this is my only option. Why? We never find out. Like, is she super anti-establishment? Not really, because she gets a regular gig working at Amazon for a few weeks a year, so clearly doesn't fundamentally feel the need to stick it to the power or boycott major corporations. And does she have no living family? No, she has a sister. 
Does she have no friends or future prospects? No, she has a friend at the beginning offer her a place to live. And this is a spoiler alert, but based on my brief research I did for this podcast, I kind of came across what happens in the second half, that she has a guy, David, who's semi in love with her, fully offer her his home and family life. So what is it that draws her to this nomadic lifestyle? She doesn't seem to be enjoying it. So why is she putting herself through it? I guess just so that she can complain about how much of a victim she is. I don't know, I just struggle finding sympathy or empathy for someone who intentionally chooses the path of most resistance and then complains about it and also refuses help from people she complains to. I don't know, either suck it up and don't complain or graciously accept the handouts people are extending to you. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Or in this case, have your cake in front of you and complain about not eating it while you stare at it and starve. And then another least favorite character so far, I guess David, because he inserted himself where he didn't belong like a typical old white guy, thought he knew best, and then ended up destroying everything. The patriarchy, am I right? Okay, moving on to my next question. Storylines I think will slash should be expanded upon or what I want to see more or less of. I normally find in my podcast reviews that this question is jam-packed with answers, but in this case, I have two very, very small dot points because to be honest, I don't really want anything to be expanded upon. It's not like a bunch of seeds have been planted in the first half that I'm excited to see blossom into actualized storylines. Nothing's really happened. It's just been prolonged bleakness, which I don't really want more of. So I guess what I want less of is the movie. I'm sorry, I feel bad. It's good, but it's also the worst and so, so draining. But in terms of what I think will be expanded upon slash what I think's gonna happen in the second half, I'm guessing Swanky dies and I'm just gonna guess that Fern continues to be a nomad. It's just gonna be as depressing as it has been in the first half and that's it. That's all I think will happen. Prove me wrong. Okay, and then the next category, most problematic moments. I always have if applicable in brackets, but I didn't realize how applicable this category would be until I started doing a mental deep dive into what I've seen so far. I started questioning it and really couldn't answer who is this movie for? It's highlighting the plight of nomads and spreading awareness about a specific homelessness epidemic brought about by the Great Recession. However, the people it's affected are not going to be able to watch this movie. The people who are able to watch it are either privileged members of the public, like myself, or privileged Academy members, all of whom have either gone to the cinema or are watching this from the comfort of their own homes. Therefore, everyone watching is either removedly sympathizing and doing nothing or using this movie as a way to, I don't know, feel good about themselves by becoming more and more faux woke, folk, if you will, and then give themselves a pat on the back for quote unquote educating themselves about people in a less privileged position for 90 minutes before moving on with their life and resuming business as usual. It's just like a self-aggrandizing act of community service for the elite. The Academy tosses it a couple of Oscars and all problems are solved. Remember when homelessness existed? Neither do I, because Nomadland and the Academy held hands, shut their eyes, clicked their heels and wished it away. Except it didn't work. The problems are ongoing and we've forgotten all about them, so I just don't understand what the point is. Except jadedly, I guess, to commodify and exploit real issues for the sake of, I don't know, staying humble? Putting our privilege into perspective, appreciating what we have, all of the above only benefit us watching at home. And again, just straight up nothing for actual nomads. 
And I don't know about you, but this feels like an emotionally manipulative and expensive way to get an ego check. Moving on to my next problematic point, again, nothing against Frances McDormand because, as I've already established, she is my queen, my lord, my savior. But getting a Hollywood veteran and two-time, now three-time Academy Award winner to be the poster child for this movement of the underprivileged is kind of ridiculous. And when I say poster child, I really mean it because she's literally the only person on the poster. People have been praising this film for its realistic and down-to-earth portrayal of houselessness. And while there are a bunch of actual nomads in it, which is great, super cool, super innovative, there is still a very, very privileged person at the helm, which I kind of think everyone has been glossing over. I do, however, also know that just from a filmmaking perspective, having Frances McDormand's name on the call sheet and in the production credits is for sure how the movie would have got the necessary funding to actually be made. So I'm not by any means saying that casting her is wrong or a completely nefariously driven Hollywood cash grab, but I'm just saying it also may not be completely altruistic either. Everything's political and intended to make money, just in the world in general, but also in Hollywood. I certainly don't have the right answer and honestly don't know what would be the most unproblematic or problematic choice in this situation. I'm just flagging it because I'm morally conflicted and bringing it forward is something to keep in mind and think about when judging the seemingly completely pure intentions of this movie. Plus another problematic thing, of course, what I was saying before about the fictional main character's choice to continue to bring these circumstances on herself. Despite having multiple opportunities to live in an actual house and live a stable life, she rejects them in favor of a depressing existence on the road. The majority of actual nomads don't have that privilege. They are forced by an initial poor economic circumstance, as well as continued poor economic circumstances, to live life in a van and struggle their way around the country, essentially on the brink of survival. Yet Fern, for some reason, actively continues to choose this over a normal life. This is a super weird deep cut of illusion, but it kind of reminds me of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend's final season when after Rebecca is allowed to be released from jail, she instead chooses to stay to avoid normal life and then run a theater program from inside prison walls. However, that show is a comedy and the comedy stems from how stupid her behavior is. This movie very much isn't. And I think that's kind of problematic to imply that a lot of nomads are actively making life hard for themselves when that isn't actually generally the case also problematic, this movie just focuses on a bunch of white people and their problems. Yes, it is directed by Chloe Zhao, an Asian woman. She has made major strides and broken significant filmmaking records, like, for instance, she was the second Asian person in a row to win Best Director, the second woman overall, which is insane, and the eighth person of color to win in the last decade. All amazing, amazing accolades. But the actual movie itself focuses exclusively on the struggles of elderly white nomads. I mean, are these issues not affecting people of color? I really don't think that's the case. So in this day and age, I think it's an odd choice to focus only on the struggles of white people, which I think we can all agree are not going to be as bad as the struggles of people of color in the same situation, no matter the situation, because unfortunately society sucks. Especially when the main character of this spotlight on white tears is choosing to continue to be in this position. I don't know, it just doesn't sit right with me. And that is officially the longest answer I've had to any question so far, which again is another telltale sign of why I'm not the biggest fan of this movie. But moving on, what category of viewing would I slot this into? For new listeners, the three categories I lay out for myself are trash, meaning that it's a horribly made film, 
treasure, meaning it's really great, it's impeccably created, it's an objectively great film. Or guilty pleasure, meaning that it's not well made, but I'm kinda into it and feel guilty about it. So I guess as a woman of many, many contradictions, out of these three categories I have to say it's treasure? It's not trash because as we've established it is very, very well made. It's not a guilty pleasure because I don't feel bad for liking it, I just don't like it. And the reason I don't like it is purely due to my personal taste and not the fault of the way in which the film was made. If it were directed or acted or written any differently, I would not like it more. In fact, if those things changed, I'd perhaps like it less. So therefore, an objective treasure, but a subjective energy drainer and life shortener. And that's that on that. Moving along to viewing style. Who would I watch it with? Where would I watch it? And who would I not watch it with? AKA the least and most ideal viewing circumstances. I don't really have a most ideal viewing circumstance because again, I wouldn't want to see it. But I definitely have a least ideal viewing circumstance. Anyone with anxiety or depression should 100% steer clear of this film because I guarantee it'll flare it up. Or honestly, perhaps induce it. Again, I'm lucky enough to suffer with neither, but by the halfway point, I'm really just not so sure anymore. So will I keep going with the rest of the movie? I'm again, very, very conflicted. Do I want to? No, not really. But also realistically, I probably will because it won Best Picture and I really want to see if things are going to turn around in the second half. My guess is no, but I just feel like I have to stick it out for the sake of sticking it out. If it got super bad reviews or even just average reviews, I probably wouldn't continue, but because of its numerous accolades and wide international acclaim, I kind of feel like I have to. But should you, someone hopefully less dependent on the zeitgeist, continue or even start this movie? It depends what you're into. If you like feeling chronically depressed, absolutely. If you want to learn more about nomadic existence and their plight, whether it be thrust upon them due to unfortunate circumstances or entirely self-inflicted and perpetuated, definitely. If you want to feel any semblance of joy, maybe steer clear. And now we've made it to the final question, rating out of five. Uh, this is so hard. Genuinely, this is the most conflicted I felt about a movie on this podcast. I know it's good. I recognize it's subjectively a really well-crafted film in all aspects. However, it personally was not up my alley at all. And once I finish the second half of my obligatory first time watch, I can guarantee I will never see it again. So I'm gonna give it two ratings, one objective and one subjective because it's my podcast and I can do what I want. So as a film, I'm going to give it an objective four out of five. If I was a marker, marking it against a rubric for what a well-made film looks like, it'd rank really well. But my personal ranking in terms of enjoyment level, like a 1, maybe a 1.5 if I'm feeling generous. I'm sorry, I'm just exhausted after watching this first half and even after reliving it through these podcast notes. So I guess watch it if you want to see what all the hype is about, whether or not you feel it's warranted is up to you and just to see what film has won all of these recent accolades. But if you don't care about any of that and just want to watch a movie without an agenda to depress, then I'd say skip it. For some reason, I feel guilty after talking about my opinion of Nomadland. I don't really know why. Just because I love Frances McDormand and Chloe Zhao seems really cute and is a very talented filmmaker, but it just really wasn't for me, which I think we've already established. And I'm going to stop talking to try and appease my own guilt. I'm just going to have to live with it. Thank you so much for listening to my incredibly contradictory podcast. 
Nomadland is currently on Disney Plus, so I'll leave it up to you whether or not you want to open that can of worms. And I will talk to you next week, where once again, I will be reviewing something that I have not picked yet because I leave everything to the last minute. Talk to you then. Bye.